Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Coming up on our program today, we'll look at the latest planting progress numbers from this past weekend. 67% of the corn crop planted, 39% of the soybeans planted, of course, both well behind normal. Uh, We'll talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Erland, and we'll talk about uh, prevent plant acres and uh, various decisions farmers are looking at this uh, very challenging spring of 2019. So that's coming up in a bit. We now have the E15 rule for year-round sales. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, about that, what impact it may have, and uh, will it withstand any legal challenges that may be coming. So that's coming up in a bit. And we're going to talk with uh, Brian Winnikins from our affiliate WRDN in Durand, Wisconsin. They held an event last week. Uh, focusing on the uh, struggling ag economy and the challenges many uh, farmers and uh, producers are facing. And we'll find out uh, what uh, some of the things were discussed at that event last week, what he heard from uh, farmers and dairy producers. Uh, We'll get a look at that because we know there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress uh, in the farm community right now. And uh, that event last week really focused on it. And we'll get an update and find out what uh, they discussed a little bit later in our program. But first, let's get an update on the news. Jerry Hagstrom is with us with the Hagstrom Report. He's working the halls of Congress. Jerry, what are you covering today? Well, I'm actually I'm up here on the House side of the Capitol. I'm here to cover two hearings. Uh, one is with the House Education and Labor Committee on the Trump administration's performance on nutrition programs, particularly school lunch, which comes under that committee's uh, jurisdiction. And then I'm going to the House Appropriations Committee, where they're going to consider the fiscal year 2020 uh, Agricultural Appropriations Bill. So it's going to be a busy morning for me. Well, those ag appropriations bills are very important. Sometimes they get overlooked, but uh, that's key to funding different programs we talk so much about. Well, yes, and this year, of course, the important thing is that there's a provision in there that would stop the Trump administration from moving the Economic Research Service under the office of the chief economist who is controlled by the Agriculture Secretary and from moving these uh, employees of that division and also the National Institute for Food and Agriculture that funds research out of Washington. There's a lot of contention about this. Um, and so uh, we'll be, I'll be interested to see what the members of the Appropriations Committee say during the markup. Yeah, those are very controversial moves for sure. Well, meanwhile, the House finally approved the disaster aid package. Indeed. Indeed, they did approve it uh, last night. Uh, There were only 58 votes against it, which means it passed by a huge margin. Um, And now it goes to President Trump. Uh, He, of course, is traveling in uh, first in London, and then he's going to Normandy. Uh, So I don't know for sure just how soon he'll sign it, whether he'll do it while he's overseas or whether uh, it will have to wait till he comes back later in the week. But well, pa- uh, as they say, help is on the way at, at some Lo- point. Long overdue, that's for sure. And uh, even while that is being uh, passed, we know that losses are mounting uh, with more disasters with the flooding that's going on. 
Well, indeed. I think the biggest issue in, agri- in agriculture right now really is the question of prevented planting and delayed planting. You know, the latest report yesterday was about the, how far behind people are in corn, and farmers have all these questions about whether they should plant or take prevented planting uh, coverage, but then if they do that, at the present time, they would not be eligible for any payments under the market facilitation program. So it's a, it's a difficult decision for a lot of farmers. Secretary Purdue says he's going to explore whether they could use that program to help people who are prevented from planting their crops. But I think it's going to be hard to make that intellectual case. When you don't have anything to sell, how are you going to be um, sort of taking care of people who theoretically would have sold to China if China would be buying the, the, the products. And we may find out this week uh, any changes or maybe some more details on the uh, market facilitation program. Yes. Now, the other issue that is coming up uh, this week, of course, is President Trump's threat to impose uh, tariffs on all Mexican products coming into the U.S. Uh, and what impact that, you know, that would have uh, both on uh, consumers because it would affect avocados and beer. Uh, uh, also, the sugar supply, the sweetener users are against it, uh, and it could also stop the um, uh, Congress from considering the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Now, Mexican officials said today they are 80% sure they'll be able to reach an agreement with Trump and it, they won't impose those tariffs, but, you know, there's still 20% out there. That's interesting. Do you- so what's the vibe around uh, the halls of Congress? Do, do they think those uh, tariffs will go into a place or not? I mean, uh, and what what is the real impact here? Uh, if they were to go in place, do you think that really uh, threatens the passage of USMCA? Uh, I think it would make it uh, would make Congress less enthusiastic about about moving on the on the bill. Uh, it isn't a direct. Uh, it isn't a direct impact, uh, but it would uh, uh, it would uh, darken the atmosphere that surrounds uh, that surrounds the USMCA. Yeah, and that. Uh, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, and as far as as far as the um, the, the the tariffs are, are are concerned, you know, it's possible. That it would, you know, it could raise the price of some, you know, because this is going to be on Mexican products for the mm-hmm. things that we import. It could raise the price of American products, especially avocados, in the short run, uh, uh, because the Mexican avocados might become too expensive. But there's a fear that the consumers would just buy fewer avocados and sort of uh, lose their enthusiasm for that food. Meanwhile, are you hearing anything on China? Only negative. Only negative on China. Now, today, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo put out a statement uh, on the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre uh, saying, you know, that uh, China should be moving towards democracy and this was a terrible thing. And the Chinese have responded that that the United States is trying to interfere in internal Chinese affairs. So I think it's... uh, uh, it's more negative than ever in terms wow. of settling uh, a trade agreement with China. That doesn't sound good at all. All right, we'll let you get back uh, to your busy day covering the hearings there on Capitol Hill. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Okay.
Bye-bye, Mike. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, coming up next, University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. He's been looking at all these numbers, what's been planted, what's not planted, decisions yet to be made, um, what are we looking at as far as potential yield, and uh, you know what is this uh, 2019 year going to turn out to be? Uh, so many questions, so much uncertainty, and what's going to happen with these market facilitation program payments, and uh, what's going to happen with prevent plant We'll talk about all that with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. He's a star of radio, TV, and Twitter. He's... University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin, who's been analyzing all the uh, the numbers when it comes to planting and not planted acres. Scott, how are you? I'm good. Wow, that, that's a... Uh, uh an interesting introduction. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're everywhere. You're a, you're a multi-media uh, uh, star here. You're everywhere. So, well, let's take a look at these numbers. 67% of the corn crop planted nationally, 39% of the soybean crop planted. Uh, what's your takeaway from that? Honestly, I think it's important that we not get desensitized to the historical significance of those numbers, Mike. I mean, I've tried a lot of different ways to try to frame it, but just imagine that, you know, we have 31 million acres of corn that need to potentially be planted in June. Uh, I think probably the best way I could think of to frame it is a person on Twitter, uh, probably older like me, uh, sent in a very old scan of the June 2nd, 1974 crop progress report, and, you know, we were planting corn in general a lot later, 45 years ago, and our planting progress this year, on June 2nd, 2019, was way behind uh, a very late year in the 1970s, if you can remember it. Wow. So whatever comparison you want to make, it's a really unprecedented magnitude of late planting. Now, there's always a question of accuracy on these uh, planning progress reports, and maybe even more questions about that this year, even though we know, like you say, the numbers are staggering, uh, that the acres that are not planted. Uh, do you think these are fairly accurate numbers that have come out? Yes. I mean, at least I don't think that there's probably much more inaccuracy than uh, usual. I think a lot of misunderstanding about the nature of these uh, crop progress numbers that come out, out weekly from the USDA. Usually they're just kind of helpful benchmarks that people look at and they don't move the market hugely like they are now. But the entire system was just set up to provide an indicator of all sorts of dimensions of crop progress as we start the season and go all the way through harvest progress. That includes crop condition ratings while the crop is going. And it's based on a system of roughly 3,600 crop observers, basically one per county in all the major crop producing states in the counties in the U.S. And these observers send in their observations about planting progress. They're really given minimal directions. So there's all sorts of scope for differences across the country, how they take into account uh, prevent plant acres, how they take into account potential switching of corn to soybean acres. So, you know, all of that's out there, and that's always been the way this system has operated. I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding, uh, thinking that this is based on some kind of big USDA survey, something like that. No, it's not. 
You know, there's been so much discussion about uh, whether to plant or not. Now, in some places, you know, there's no no debate. Mother Nature has made that, uh, and you know, has answered that question. But for those that, you know, it's kind of in the gray area, do I try, do I not try? There's been questions about do the market facilitation payments, have they influenced uh, planting decisions? It would seem that if you've got the option still to plant, even though it's in June, the higher corn price right now may be the bigger uh, determining factor, the influencing, uh, uh, the influencer in making that decision because, you know, a lot of guys are still trying to get a seed in the ground. Right, and it's clear that up to an individual's prevent plant date, there's a, probably a lot of it. You know, you, you have to keep planting basically up to that date. But we've rolled through that date in the yeah. western Corn Belt states. That was May 25th. The middle of the Corn Belt states, that was May 31st. And then uh, tomorrow is basically the final prevent plant. So we'll, we'll have tripped all those triggers. And so the question becomes then it's a very complex set of trade-offs once you trip your prevent plant date, whether you're going to continue planting or not, and the considerations start with, A, of course, can you even get in the field past your prevent plant date? Secondly, uh, what are your expectations for uh, yield in your cornfield uh, if you're planting in June? Uh, second, a third, very important consideration is, you know, how much how much cost have you already incurred? That can really swing you into yeah. continuing to plant, particularly at these prices. And then also, you know, what you expect in terms of a market facilitation payment on prevent plant acres. You know, my personal position is that uh, I think we're in the process of that being changed at the USDA this week. We'll have to wait and see. But a farmer has to weigh all of those considerations. So it's a really complicated decision, and I really uh, empathize with farmers struggling how to balance all of those factors. But I think that, you know, what we're seeing lately, like I really think what happened in Dakotas this week tells you that, you know, we're, we're going to continue to see some corn planted for a while. Meanwhile, Secretary Purdue, looking at whether or not prevent plant acres will be part of market facilitation payments and he says I don't know frankly whether we can legally do it or not we are investigating that as we speak you have to have something to sell or to trade for a tariff impact I hope to have a, def a definite answer to those producers very soon hopefully by the end of the week you think uh, prevent plant acres will be included one way or another yes uh, you know, maybe the legalities of MFP2 uh, and the way they are running it through the CCC can't be overcome, but I won't be surprised if intended to be planted but stopped by Mother Nature is included for the purposes of this policy as counting as planted, um, you know. We all know that legal definitions probably have a, a quite a bit of a gray area depending on interpretation. So it won't surprise me if kind of we just hear, you know, magically that now they're in. And if, it, if that's not enough, then we've got the disaster bill that was just passed. And 
uh, it would take an unusual, probably disaster declaration, kind of making the entire Corn Belt a disaster area, which isn't uh, unfathomable anyway, that uh, that's the kind of situation we're going through. So my bottom line is, one way or the other, I believe that you're going to see some equalization of uh, payments, either directly in the MFP2 program or through the disaster bill route. Talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, uh, our focus right now on acres planted or not planted. Uh, before long, we're going to start, I think, focusing on those that are planted. What What's the yield potential and uh, what impact is not only late planting, but the, the conditions they were planted in going to have? Well, exactly. The combination of those two, you know, I think we'll start to see some important clues on that. The USDA uh, said they're going to issue their first crop conditions ratings for corn next week. You know, it's, you know, that's, I, we, I don't know how much, it, you know, weight we should place on that when we're going to be on average, not too much above 50% emerge, it's going to be kind of hard to rate the crop if it's not planted or if it's uh, still in the ground and hasn't emerged. But that'll emerge, you know, that will change over the coming weeks. Uh, you know, I just took a look at uh, uh, this morning, you know, how the crop conditions ratings evolved for three seasons that I've been using as an analog, uh, 93, 95, and 96. And they started in the mid-50s and on average finished in the mid-50s. And, you know, if you just use that as, you know, a rough benchmark, you know, that would basically, say, put you in a yield that's in the, you know, mid to upper 160s right now, if that's the kind of crop condition uh, that we get for the crop in the next couple of weeks. So we should, we have to be taking some, Yield hit. We're talking, Mike, about a third of the corn crop in the U.S. If it even gets that part gets even planted, uh, being planted in June, when at minimum that has to have a 15% uh, yield reduction in expectation, and probably 20 or 25% in these conditions is is more realistic for for those bushels. So uh, definitely taking big hits on both acreage and yield in corn right now. All right, Scott, good to talk with you. We'll check back in soon. Thank you. Uh, always my pleasure, Mike. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Well, we now have E15 sales year-round. We'll talk about that with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture Coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk with one Illinois farmer between the Quad Cities and Peoria. David Erickson joins us. David, thanks for being with us. How much do you have done? Um, I'm about uh, 95% plus on corn, so I feel fortunate there, and, and most of that corn is up, but no soybeans planted. For the most part, Mike, we've not gotten big rains, although last night, depending on where you're at here in Knox County in Illinois, we're uh, Know, somewhere between, uh, I'd say, 1.6 and 2.5 inches. Our forecast is for a little bit drier weather. And in today's lingo, that means uh, scattered showers of, uh, you know, somewhere between two tenths and half an inch. So we're as wet now as we've been at any time this spring. And uh, we're probably looking at a week's worth of drying. 
uh, to get back into the field, I would guess. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector on this Tuesday trading session, we have a mix. Corn and soybeans are trending higher while the wheat futures are trending lower. Corn and beans rising partially due to USDA's crop progress report yesterday, which showed that progress in corn and soybean planting is still behind analyst estimates. 67% of the corn crop in the ground as of Sunday nationwide, 39% of soybean acres have been planted according to USDA, both those numbers well off the normal pace. Meanwhile, USDA saying that 64% of the winter wheat crop in the U.S. is in good or excellent shape. That's a three-point increase from a week ago. July soybeans seeing last week's high at 892 and three-quarters as a short-term top. An hour into the day, July beans at 888 a bushel, up nine cents. July corn up five and a half at 429 and three quarters of a cent. A short-term top and resistance forming on that contract last week at 438. In the wheats, Chicago, July down nine and three quarters at 510. Kansas City wheat, the dime to 13 cents lower. Minneapolis spring wheat, July down three at 560 and a half. Live cattle futures, June contract 47 cents higher at 107.22. Feeder cattle, August contract, $1.05 higher at $134.55. Lean hog futures trending a nickel to 50 cents lower. July down 5 cents per hundred weight at $84.47. On Wall Street, the Dow making a move up 309 points. S&P up 29. Crude oil down 49. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. When last we talked with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, the Cardinals were struggling and we were still waiting to see if EPA would uh, grant the e- come out with the E15 year-round sales rule or not. But now the Cardinals have swept the Cubs and we have E15 approved for year-round sales, so you must be smiling pretty big right now, Jeff Cooper. 
I do have a very big smile on my face, Mike. It was a great weekend, wasn't it? And it all started <laughs> Friday morning with the RVP rule finally coming out. So, yeah, big smile here. All right, so what's the impact of having E15 year-round? Well, I think the impact, uh, you know, as we've always said, in the near term is going to be somewhat modest. Uh, Really what the rule coming out on Friday does is it allows retailers who are already selling E15, and there's about 1,700 stations or so that are selling E15 today, it allows them to continue selling E15 through the summer months this year. That's not been the case in previous years. They would have had to stop selling E15 on June 1st um, or relabel it for flex fuel vehicles or, or, you know, like I said, in most cases, just take it out entirely. Uh, that's not the case this year. They'll continue to sell that fuel throughout the summer. Of course, that's the busy travel time of the year, uh, the, the period of highest demand. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, but it also, you know, sends a signal now to those retailers who have not uh, taken the plunge on E15 yet. And, and the reason that they had been hesitant to get into the market was because they didn't want to offer a seasonal fuel and go through the hassle of selling a fuel for eight months and then taking it out for three and a half or four months during the summer. Um, so, you know, we, we think, you know, again, the, 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 the larger impacts on ethanol demand are going to be in the three to five-year time frame as more retailers make the investments to offer E15 year-round. Um, you know, in the near term, modest impacts, uh, but, a, but a very good signal, and we finally broke that door down uh, to longer-term growth in E15. Do you expect a legal challenge from the oil industry? And if so, do you think uh, this rule is uh, uh, going to withstand that challenge? We think it's a certainty that uh, this rule will be challenged. Uh, the oil industry has already announced its intentions to sue EPA uh, over this rule, uh, and we expect to see, see you know, some litigation very soon uh, from the oil industry, potentially from some of the environmental groups. Uh, but we do think this rule is is highly defensible. Um, EPA did a really good job of making the legal case uh, for applying the the volatility waiver to E15. And, and Mike, I got I got to eat some crow here because I told you and many others several times that I didn't think EPA was going to get this done before summer. Um, and and if they did get it done, I was worried that it might be a little sloppy. Uh, neither one of those things ended up being true, and I am very happy about that. This is this is one time I'm I'm really happy to be wrong. The rule was done on time, and it was done. You know, they did a good job. It is it is absolutely airtight and legally defensible. Better to be pleasantly surprised than bitterly disappointed, right? That's right. I, I usually set my uh, my expectation bar fairly low with EPA, so when it gets surpassed, I, I can be happy about that, and, and this was certainly one of those cases. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Where do we stand with REN reform? Yeah, that was the other half of this rulemaking, and, and again, if you recall, uh, this, this entire package was meant to reflect uh, the quote-unquote deal uh, that President Trump wanted to strike between ethanol producers and refiners. Uh, we wanted RVP relief for E15, and the refiners wanted some changes to the REN market. Uh, they got some changes to the REN market in this rule. Um, they are not consequential uh, changes in, in our mind. Um, and really, uh, you know, EPA had proposed four 
potential reforms to the rent market, three of those four we think would have been very problematic, uh, would have uh, further undermined the rent market, would have kept rent prices uh, very low in perpetuity. Um, EPA walked away from those three and finalized the one rent reform that we weren't terribly concerned about, and that's really around more transparency um, and publicly disclosing the names of, of the refiners that are holding, you know, huge amounts of rents. So uh, I believe the president's going to be in Iowa next week again talking about renewable fuels? Yeah, there is some news uh, out this morning uh, that the president will be returning to Council Bluffs. That's where he was last October uh, when he stood up and, and directed EPA to get started on this rulemaking. Um, the, the news reports suggest he will be um, visiting the Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy ethanol plant uh, near Council Bluffs. It's one of our member companies. Um, and so that could be, uh, could be quite an event and, and quite an opportunity. You know, I've been reading some of the stories that are out there, you know, the, the oil industry attacking this and criticizing this decision. And we're seeing some of the, uh, the old things, the old arguments we've seen before. I've, I've seen one story saying that the, um, the RFS fundamentally fails in its environmental and national security mandates and uh, that uh, the increased use of E15 will be harmful to the, to the air and increase smog pollution. I mean, uh, these same old attacks are, are coming back again. They sure are, Mike, and you, you can tell when you get under the skin of the, of the oil industry because all those old myths and all that misinformation starts coming back out again. The, the Wall Street Journal's been all over it this week. They had an editorial uh, run this morning, uh, you know, saying that this is going to make smog worse and all this other stuff. I mean, the, the bottom line is um, E15 is lower volatility than E10. It has lower evaporative emissions. Uh, and if you believe the, the scientists at the University of California at Riverside, which we do, uh, their analysis and, and testing shows that E15 has lower smog-forming emissions than E10, and that's why this summertime ban on E15 never made any sense. Um, so, you know, and then, of course, there's greenhouse gas emissions benefits uh, and, and on down the line. So we, we do continue to fight the, the same myths and misinformation that we've seen for 10 years or, or, or you know, 20 years or more uh, with, with ethanol. I saw something the other day that was talking about the energy balance again and, and this myth that it takes more energy to, to make a gallon of ethanol than you get out of it. So it does feel like deja vu sometimes, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the business we're in, I guess. Myths die hard, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do indeed. Uh, on the subject of, you know, retailers now offering E15 that maybe weren't, we know Casey's had made the uh, the announcement that they were going to uh, start offering E15 in, in more of their locations, and it looks like they're going to follow through on that now, right? Oh, they are. They, You know, several months ago, Casey's had said, uh, we plan to offer E15 at 500 of our 2,000 stations. Um but, it, you know, the fine print was if some certain things happen. And, and one of those uh, certain things was getting this RVP, summertime uh, RVP barrier, uh, eradicated. Um, and so just yesterday we, we saw Casey's uh, announce that, hey, uh, now that this RVP waiver is going to be applied to E15 in the summer, uh, we're going to move forward uh, immediately with 60 more stations. They've already converted 
um, you know, I think close to 100 stations over to E15. Um, so they are making good on, on their commitment. And, and again, this, I think that really underscores the importance of this signal uh, that this rulemaking sends to retailers who aren't yet offering E15. What is the timeline for the RVO levels uh, to, for that final decision to be made for next year's RFS uh, requirements? Well, that proposed rule is sitting at the White House currently for review. Um, it's been there for a few weeks. We expect that by the end of June we will see a proposal out publicly for the 2020 RFS volumes. Uh, you know, the news reports have suggested the numbers will be the same as we've seen the last few years, 15 billion gallons for uh, conventional biofuels. But those numbers in recent years, as you know, Mike, have been meaningless um, because they have been undermined and eroded by small refiner exemptions. So we can't put any stock in a 15 billion gallon number as long as EPA continues to resort to these small refiner exemptions that you know, the last few years have, have resulted in lowering that number by a billion gallons or more. Do we know if EPA is granting more of those now? They have 39 pending requests uh, for 2018 exemptions um, currently before Administrator Wheeler. Uh, he has not yet ruled on any of those. Um, and again, you know, we're pushing EPA very hard. We're, we're pushing the White House very hard. Um, to deny those those exemption requests, certainly the ones that are are not uh, justified, um, and restore some integrity and responsibility to that small refiner exemption program. You go back to the Obama administration, and EPA would give out you know a handful of small refiner exemptions every year, um, but it it, it wasn't um, you know they were truly being given to to smaller kind of mom and pop types of, of refineries. Um, not, um, you know, small refineries that, that happen to be owned by some of the largest, most profitable companies in the world like Exxon, Mobil, and Chevron. All right, Jeff, thanks for the update, and we encourage people to uh, look for E15 at a retailer near them. Hopefully uh, they'll find one, and if they, if they don't have one, might they stop in at the where they get gas and encourage uh, the retailer to take a look at it, right? That's absolutely right. That's the quickest way to get E15 yep. in your location is, is demanded. Very good. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a, a must have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted. Now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. 
Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we all know, the stress level on farmers this year is extremely high, and our affiliate in Durand, Wisconsin, WRDN, held an event last week to look at some of those issues and discuss uh, uh, what can be done to help uh, folks through these times. Brian Winnikins uh, from WRDN joins us now. Brian, thank you very much for being with us. Tell us about your event last week. Well, the you know, Mike, it was an event we just felt we needed to do. We had uh, approximately 100 people um, at uh, the uh, Weiss family farm just north of Durand. And um, we just basically talked, Mike, about some of the stresses that uh, farmers are going through. We didn't want to point fingers at what, you know, who caused this or who did whatever. Um, we wanted to just talk about the, the, the situation that family farmers and really all farmers are going through right now because of the agriculture crisis. Tell us about some of the stories you heard from those in attendance. Boy, I tell you, Mike, there's a you know wide variety of stories. Uh, one family uh, talked about how they wanted to be able to keep the farm in the family, but they had to, because of tax issues and other issues, they had to actually give half of the farm to their sons, just give it away because they wanted to retire so their sons were able to, to take the farm over. Um, there was another uh, a farmer that was talking about uh, his biggest uh, job on his farm isn't milking cows or planting or it's trying to take a dollar of income and pay a dollar fifty of bills. Uh, there was uh, other farmers that, that uh, talked about they were they were ineligible for the SNAP program uh, because of the way the program is set up, but they didn't uh, have enough. They had to really make some hard decisions on how to be able to afford even just buying food during the day. Or during the week, and and you know some farmers also felt that folks in the rural or in the cities just didn't appreciate what they were going through and didn't appreciate what they do every day. So did you know? You know, obviously the the stress levels there and and frustration. Uh, are these people uh, do they know where to turn for help, or are they are were you able to kind of talk about where they can go for help and where they can, uh, you know, who they can turn to and talk about some of these issues? That was one of the big things that we wanted to talk about. We had uh, representatives from the National Farm Medicine Center there. Um, the United Way was there. Uh, the Pepin County uh, Health Department and Pepin County Human Services uh, were there. And we did talk about uh, some of those programs. And, in fact, um, after our meeting, the uh, Pepin County Health Department uh, uh, head uh, Heidi Stewart, she received an email from uh, an organization about $30,000 grants that could be available for even training um, for uh, folks like the milk hauler or the agronomist uh, to uh, be able to recognize the signs 
of a farmer that might be in a little bit of trouble because a lot of times that was the one thing that we did here, Mike, was during times of a lot of stress or depression, farmers would turn, there are some farmers that said they just turned in inward, didn't never left the farm and that sort of thing, and that made the situation worse. So that's one of the things that uh, we talked about. Uh, there was a farmer that actually has uh, started up uh, through his church uh, a monthly meeting where farmers get to come together, they have a lunch, and they might have someone come in to, uh, an expert come in to talk to them, and to really just be able to vent and just to be able to talk and, and, and understand that they're not alone in this, because some of these farmers, many of them, feel like there's nowhere to turn anymore, but that's not the case. Yeah, I think it's important for all of us to kind of care for each other, watch uh, those around us and look for any signs that someone may be really struggling with depression and uh, be there to, if nothing else, just to listen, just to talk with them. That's the one thing that I heard from a lot of different um, farmers that but they, that uh, did thank me. They said, you know, we just you just listened. Um, and that's, that's, I think, what everybody needs to, to realize, especially uh, folks uh, that live in, in, in town, or just, you know, rural residents that know of a farmer that, you know, next door, just listen. You don't have to, you don't have to try and solve this for them. They just need someone to talk to and show some empathy and, and don't judge and, and, and just listen. This isn't a political issue. This, this, this shouldn't be a political issue. This isn't, this is, these are our fellow citizens who are in trouble, who are, are struggling right now, and we should just show them compassion regardless of their political stripes. Brian, give us uh, an update on your area there in uh, Duran, Wisconsin. We know, of course, dairy is a big part of your uh, ag uh, 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 community there. But uh, what about crops there? What's your situation this spring? Well, some of the some of the farmers, Mike, have been able to get in. Um, we have those that have the lighter soils um, were able to get in. Now, some of the folks that had heavier soils, uh, the flooding was uh, pretty incredible and is still there. Um, I mean, there was one field that I saw one day, you were seeing white caps out in the field. It was, there was so much water in there and it was so windy. But one of the things that's really that uh, one of the farmers talked about, even at our event, there's a new stress level that that's kind of come in. And that is for dairy and livestock. We've had a lot of winter kill this year. And then you put the flooding and the, and the very wet weather on top of it. We're running short of feed. Some farmers are starting to run short of, of, of hay and, and other things like that, and it's because they had winter kill and or they can't get into the fields to start doing anything for first crop or anything like that. So that's been kind of a concern, and that's something new that's kind of just started to creep uh, creep into the, the storyline here, so to speak. Yeah, adding to uh, the, the already high stress level for sure. Well, Ryan, thanks for being with us, and uh, thanks for putting on that event uh, for folks in your area uh, to address some of these real needs and concerns that are out there. And I think that uh, perhaps uh, more meetings like this will be taking place, will need to be uh, taking place uh, around the country as this challenging year continues. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. All right, Brian Winnikins from WRDN, our affiliate in Durand, Wisconsin. All right, with that, we'll wrap things up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to uh, check in uh, with a county farm bureau president in western Illinois, dealing with that county, dealing with flooding and, uh, of course, uh, delayed and uh, prevent plant in a lot of areas. We'll get an update from Pike County, Illinois, tomorrow on that. And then there's a proposal out that uh, maybe will help 
some of our struggling rural hospitals. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow, get an update as well with Maggie Elawani with the uh, National Rural Health Association. That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.